You're listening to Extra Textual. This is a show where we talk about an idea, concept, theme, trend, and relate it to some kind of media like film, TV, video games, books, music, and hopefully discover something about ourselves or our culture along the way. Thanks for listening. Okay, welcome to the show. This is Eli Steenlidge. With me is... Jeremy Holiday. And on this episode, we're going to be talking all things Ghost in the Shell. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had a chance to recently see the live-action um, version of Ghost in the Shell that came out with Scarlett Johansson. And so we thought it would be a good chance to revisit the anime films. Yeah. Um, the original Ghost in the Shell from 2005? <laughs> right? 1995. I, you did the research. I think so it's 1995. Yes. I think the second one was in 2004, 2005. I think 2004, yeah. 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 So almost 10 years apart um, between those. So that was, and that's the, uh, the second film, Ghosts in the Shell 2 Innocence, as it was known in, uh, in the U.S. So talking about those main three films, and there's been other iterations of Ghosts in the Shell, like a regular kind of series, which was more of like a, police procedural um i think the more than that and there's been a few other sort of backstory uh films as well Mm -hmm. but not quite as major or high quality so we're kind of sticking to those three because definitely the live action film i think is mostly borrowing from or calling back to those originals um and utilizing specific uh storylines and images that they wanted to include so in talking about these uh, we can kind of give our general opinion of the live-action one in comparison, because certainly there's been a lot of talk about the anime ones in the past. Yeah. But what was your kind of thoughts on overall of of the new film and how it was handled <laughs> and your experience of it? Well, for me, the, one of the things I want to start out with, one of the things is interesting about the whole idea of the new Ghost in the Shell live-action uh, movie is the idea of... Um, uh, taking a story and redoing it, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. There's the idea of taking a story in a different medium mm-hmm. and redoing it. Yeah. Um, I mean, we haven't ever really talked about it. We talked about it when we did the show on Polybius Streams, but the, yeah. like The Watchmen, like going from this, mm. gra- you know, this graphic novel that, yeah. um, to a movie, which I thought was great. I mean, not perfect, but um, mm-hmm. certainly uh, a really wonderful adaptation where they did tweak a few things yeah. and took out some stuff, but... Um, you know, it had a very similar effect, and, and it hit all the major points and had the same good style. Right. I mean, I mean, one of the things I find interesting about like Joss Whedon in particular, you know, is like you know he's written for comic books and television mm-hmm. and movies mm-hmm. and um, and 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 shorts and other other sorts of things, you know. And so yeah. that there is like a and his style is sort of comes out in all those different things. Um, but there are different requirements for you know, like a good TV show looks different than a good movie, which looks different than a good graphic mm-hmm. novel um and you know a, a, a good animated movie looks different than a good live action right movie um and i also there's also the other thing for me um which is like um looking at uh how we viewed the future in the past mm-hmm. i mean it's one of the things that i mean i saw in your notes a mention of william gibson i mean there's william gibson has um uh, a short story in a, a collection called Burning Chrome called the Gernsbach Continuum. Okay. Um, and it's a story of like, 
I mean, this is kind of an out there story, but it's mm-hmm. this, this like story of these people driving in these cars along the road and sort of being transfixed by this very futuristic, perfect golden city in yeah. the distance. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and encountering the, the dark, gritty reality of what their technological lives were. And William Gibson is, um, you know, uh, I think the, the father of, of modern cyberpunk. I mean, certainly right. there are other people alongside that are doing things like that, but he, he's also... Known. Yeah. yeah, he's also, like, he also says that. You know, he's yeah. also um, that way. Um, and I think that um, the, you know, like the... It's interesting to see how, like, um, a movie made in nineteen ninety five, looking at the future; a movie made in two thousand four, looking at mm. the future; and a movie made in, you know, twenty sixteen, twenty seventeen, looking at the future. Like, um, mm-hmm. you know, are that is how how those things are different? So, yeah. I mean, one of the, I think I mentioned this before in the show, but one of the um, things that opened my eyes about um, anime and Ghost in the Shell, I went to see. Uh, Ghost in the Shell two with my friend Mark Minette, who's a was a, we were just grad students together. He's now okay. a, a film scholar. Nice. Um, went to see it at a little this little rundown theater by Vilas Hall here at the UW. It's not there mm-hmm. anymore. Yeah, um, I had not seen Ghost in the Shell one. He's like, you got to come okay. see this. Um, yeah, um, we had similar taste. I mean, he lent me Buffy on VHS <laughs> at the end. Um, I went to see it and I was you know I like I was blown away. Yeah, I mean like it's it's Japanese cops. It's noir. Right. It's Sci-fi. I mean, it's like everything mm-hmm. I've ever wanted. I mean, I grew up, um, you know, uh, watching Robotech, and I loved um, sometimes Sci-Fi Channel have it would have Robot Carnival, which would yes. be like all these collections of anime stuff, and I just, mm-hmm. I just felt it was like so emotionally evocative for me. So I watched yeah. it, and it was great. I didn't. I mean, I was. I mean, I was still in my twenties, but like there was a lot of the deeper philosophical stuff that I didn't entirely grasp or yeah. appreciate. Yeah, I think it was um, a similar experience for me. Yeah. Like. My uh, friend in high school was like, you have to watch Ghost in the Shell. He got a copy uh, of the original. And I had seen some anime, but I think the first time I saw this, it was, you know, totally sucked me into the visuals and the concept, but I totally didn't grasp. I mean, I hardly knew what was happening by the end yeah. Um, when, it, yeah. when it ended, but was still so drawn to it. Um, and, of course, the animation was better than anything I'd ever seen. Yeah. yeah. And so the thing that I... I, I my friend Mark showed me an, an interview with, um, I think it was the, uh, someone, either the director or someone mm-hmm. who was like a crucial in making Ghost in the Shell 2. And they asked him, they said, you know, hey, like, you know, you've made live action films and, anim- you know, animated yeah. films, like, um, how do you make the decision? Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I, I don't know what I expected, but what he said was, well, if I have, you know, a good budget, all the money that I feel like I need to make a project well, I animate it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, What's that? <laughs> yeah, that's unusual. Yeah. And it's like I, I assumed it would be cheaper because mm-hmm. it's just drawing, right? Um, but I also I, I don't think I appreciated um, uh, what in you know, like what it takes to make a film, you know, as powerful and haunting as that mm-hmm. is because mm-hmm. you need artists to capture it, yeah. you know, and 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 um, you know, and, and sometimes it's like every frame has to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Because there's less frames per second, and you get to see this jittery slow motion. It right. just like you're like composing these masterpieces in every frame. Yeah. Um, and so like I that just sort of blew my mind. I was like, oh, oh. Hmm. Um, I assumed that like working with people would be more expensive because you have to be in places and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but looking at the new one, um, which I was just not impressed with, <laughs> um, the remake. Um, I can kind of see. I'm like, oh, like yeah, you have all the city and whatnot, mm-hmm. but you but 
it doesn't yeah you know the characters and their action and their expression and what goes on it all looks fairly cool mm-hmm. but it just doesn't have the like it just feels off it doesn't have the same power as the the um the two original films i mean it, there's been a lot of talk about the the journey this film took to come to our screens and and it's been in the works for a while and it, i can't help but feel that it just got stuck in the sort of corporate studio system too much and you know i don't know if somebody behind it had a more visionary plan for it but i feel like they didn't they weren't inspired to look at it in a new way they just kind of tried to translate what was in the 1995 version into live action in some way well um, that's it i mean there yeah. are clear elements from ghost in the shell 2 like the yes. opening sequence i think is right from ghost in the shell 2 pretty close yeah um you know i think the that final there's shot where she falls off the building yeah yeah i mean i think that there are um elements of it in there i mean mm-hmm. i just um so i mean cut cut to the heart of the matter right so yeah. in the story um in the remake um the major the big the big thing at the end when she mm-hmm. after she kills the spider mech yeah um spider tank spider tank spider tank yeah um which is an awesome battle. that was cool yeah yeah i mean it's like again like i think it's i mean it's, it's elements, yeah. yeah and and oh, well there <laughs> i'll get to it in a second but uh with what they change in the story is that she finds out that like her and this other character she's interacting with mm-hmm. um were both humans that were stolen yeah who were like dissident excuse me who were dissidents Mm-hmm. They were captured and like their brains were taken and put into these things, and it, it makes that story like because it sort of begins and ends with humans doing things poorly to other humans. Yeah, it's a totally ordinary pedestrian mm-hmm. story about you know in this case it's sort of like humans wanting to sacrifice other humans for progress. Yeah. You know, use them as right. experiments, and like this is old, yeah. not interesting. And has nothing to do with the philosophical point made in Ghost in the Shell right. and Ghost in the Shell. I think too. the new one definitely goes more for something trying to talk about identity of her character and her confused about her identity. But the original two films, uh, the animated ones, I think are talking about these, like you said, bigger existential issues and what it means to be human. And what new life is, what? and the new film kind of drops. I mean, it kind of hints it. Kind of drops. Yeah, it, it drops it quite a bit, and totally goes in another direction. And I think a lot of that is that ending makes a huge difference. Oh yeah. In in where we end up with the story. Just warning here, spoilers. We're not it, we're spoilers. not avoiding anything. Yet. Can't. Uh, Should have said that earlier, but yeah, in the 2017 version. Um, when she's faced with the choice of sort of joining this artificial intelligence or some some being that's more on that that path, um, she chooses not to and stay sort of in her artificial body and stay working for this special Section police for unit that yeah. has basically was lying to her and turned her back on her. So yeah, um, it was a weird choice. And then the original, she does choose to join. Uh, right. And she, kind of merge with she this. She flies person. up there, becomes yeah. who knows what, and 
pops out in a doll in the second one in, right. in heroic fashion. Right. Um, and, th- and I can't help but think that was their bid to get sequels and have to keep her also uh, in this body. You know? I mean, I, honestly, I, yeah. I went back and watched Ghost in the Shell 2 hoping mm-hmm. that there was some element of that, that story piece about her yeah. being captured in there that I just didn't miss or mm-hmm. that I missed the first time. Yeah. Nothing. And mm-hmm. maybe it's in, I mean, like, I'm kind of, like, I've only <laughs> seen the movies. I haven't read the manga. I, do, I haven't done all my I homework on it. Yeah. So, like, maybe some of it's in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I just think like there's 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 such good classic sci-fi setup in yes. Ghost in the Shell. I mean, yes. you, you have these people that represent philosophical positions. They talk philosophically about things. Mm-hmm. They quote Descartes. They do all this stuff. You know, yeah. in the original in the, in the 1995 film, you have like uh, like fully human people. You have Bato, who's like mostly human with some cybernetic enhancements. Mm-hmm. You have the major who is. Pretty much only, I mean, like only a brain and a, and yeah. a, a cybernetic body, mm-hmm. and you have this fully, fully artificially intelligent person yeah. or thing that was created, became self-aware, and is now doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and the major is sort of in. What is interesting is is, is the space between the major and this, you know, this puppet master, this right. created being, mm-hmm. um, which is like pushing you to think about. Like what is life, you know? And, and yeah. certainly, there's these powerful lines in the second film about how that, you know, Bato says that Descartes didn't differentiate between man and machine. Mm-hmm. It's about thought. Right. Um, and these are like really interesting um, philosophical ideas that are, you know, that make the film interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Because you know, I mean, like, sure, the action is cool. I love a detective story. I get yeah. like, you put me a Japanese cop, give that guy a sword and a gun, <laughs> and I watch it forever. You know. Yeah. Um, uh, but it just uh, when because they changed the elements of the story and because these certain people weren't there, we don't have a, a completely artificial being mm-hmm. in the in the right. 2017 film. Yeah. And we have very human people doing very human things, mm-hmm. even like a like and the humans even controlling you know the the spider mech thing. You know, like there's like right. there's there's just it just stinks of humanity, yeah. um, which is uh, something that Ghost in the Shell is talking about. Right. Um, I mean, it seemed sort of dumbed down in general. For oh. a bigger audience, and I really wish with films like this, with you know a sort of heritage in these deeper animated films, that they would just trust the audience to you know like give them some awesome action, yeah, you know some futuristic action, but like keep some mystery in there, um, make people allow people to think. I think you could have balanced both um, in in the same film to be able to do that. And for me, it also kind of came down to. You know, the trailers looked really interesting for the 2017 version. Yeah. And, but watching the film, it just felt lacking. Like, my interest wasn't well, really he, kept. And here's so, the thing. Yeah. So here's what, here's what I'll say. Like, I'm just, like, the 2017 movie is, is like a coffee table book. <laughs> you know, it, it's yeah. like the kind of thing that, like, it's like production stills, you know, or like artist right. interpretation of your favorite film. You know, mm-hmm. here's how we redid the scene. Doesn't it look cool? Right. It's like, cool. But like a coffee table book is not the same thing as a you know a deep philosophical or even like a right. deeply interesting film. Yeah, at the originals. Um, and I think for part of me, what I came down to was rewatching after the 2017 version. I rewatched um, the animated versions. Yeah, I did too. And and what I noticed is a difference in pace and tone. Yeah. And I think that made all the difference. I mean, certainly if we go back to Blade Runner, which influenced oh deeply. all of these. Um, that that's what makes that film interesting too is yeah. is the tone and more contemplative um and i mean just the uh the original 1995 ghost in the shell pauses in the middle to just kind of show these like street scenes 
And she, uh, the main character, Major, is hardly even in those shots. Like, we just see boats going by on this river and just kind of daily life and this clash between, you know, a uh, very futuristic culture and these very traditional Japanese culture and how they're kind of coming together. And I think that's some of the most fascinating parts. And, I mean, I think it just adds to when we get to the action, when we get to these philosophical talks, um, we've had time to kind of think through those and just be in that world a little bit. Yeah, I mean, there's this, I mean, the conflict of like classic, like, you know, um, I don't know, classical and modern in Japan always brings up for me the the work of a filmmaker named Yashijiro Ozu. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he is. He is very. He made a, a variety of films. Some of them are feature length. Some of them are not. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's made a lot of shorts. Mm-hmm. Uh, he um, made a very good film called uh, Ohio, which is like Good Morning as okay. in, in English. Uh, it's a bunch of school kids. <laughs> There's a lot of fart jokes. Um, but um, one of the things, I mean, a hallmark of his style is like um, camera doesn't move. People mm-hmm. are interacting in it. It's real great. He, right. uh, I think he did one or he did some in color. Most of it's in black and white, but I think mm-hmm. uh, a film called Tokyo Story, which is about sort of a family drama about moving yes. from the country to the city. I think it's in color, um, uh, and you know, and, and, and it it deals it deals with the themes more broadly. Mm-hmm. But in almost all of his films, he always has lots of shots of like a beautiful house with these telephone wires on yeah. top of it, yeah. or you know, mm-hmm. like a street, um, and the reflection of the street. There's all this messy construction work Mm. you know like the way in which the modern things are like overlaying and making the sort of classical not Mm -hmm. beautiful right um and there's this and so you know i don't i don't know enough about japanese cinema to know how much everyone is influenced by him sure um but i I certainly see elements of that Mm. visual style in a lot of places where there's contrast you know between those two things and in ghost in the shell 2 um there's this long sequence which is where there's the giant parade when they go yes. to the place out of the Which city. Is beautiful, it's yeah. beautiful, and yeah, the music yeah. is it's fabulous. An yeah. And there's the scene where it's, it's just a 360 degree rotation around a street sign. Mm. And it has, it has yes. digital street sign, too, yeah. but it's like you know, and you know, so it's like we're getting a th- it's about the street sign, yeah. and the street sign is a blending of. Uh, technology that's pretty, mm-hmm. a classical design of non-technological elements that is also beautiful. Yeah. You know, sort of in this space, sort of showing how you know people are interacting with this mm-hmm. parade that's going by. Um, you know, and, and I think it, I mean it's interesting for me in that particular um, place yeah. um, that you have the city, which is fairly orderly but kind of dirty, mm-hmm. and then you go out of the city to this place which is like a, described as a graveyard or a mess. Right. Um, and, and inside of that mess, you have tremendous beauty mm-hmm. and this lamppost, <laughs> which is uh, like a melding of like technological beauty and, you know, sort of practical, more, um, you know, regular, yeah. like, you know, uh, architectural beauty, mm-hmm. um, which is like, I don't even know what that means, but it's certainly, it, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah I know it, It's a powerful shot and it's beautiful to look at. Right. I noticed the same thing. And I think for me, watching it this time, I saw the sign... Um, and it looked something, like I said, more traditional or, or classic. And then it took me a moment to notice, like, oh, there's also, like, this digital yeah. part of it that's changing. But they were so well blended. And again, going back to Blade Runner, and I think what influenced Ghost in the Shell is that those films are designed with such atmosphere and, and thought that goes into the architecture and the languages and things that are blending 
that it's kind of like, and I always like films that do this, where it's like they created a story in this futuristic world or this other world that we're not used to, but then they sort of like backed up again and said like, okay, we have this concept, um, this situation in this world, but what would it like, so what would be like the consequences on like the way society advances and things? Yeah. And so they take that extra time to think through that, and I think it shows on screen and in that world building that Mm -hmm. uh you you feel like this is lived in it's not just designers saying oh doesn't this building look futuristic and cool like there are elements that are kind of degraded about it and advanced um like you were talking about and i think that's a great example that street sign and then the contrast like you said when they go outside of the city yeah and and those and those Mm -hmm. moments really pause to let you experience it yeah, and I guess there's just, like, there's elements in Ghost of the Shell, too, like the mm-hmm. opening shot, yeah. which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the shots when they're on that bird helicopter, yeah. um, and they're flying into the sort of unregulated part out of the right. city. I mean, like, I, I, I'm not, there's probably a better way to do it, maybe, <laughs> but, like, that's how Blade Runner starts. We, like, yeah. we are in the sky, we are moving we're into this city. place, it, yeah. is, it was, like, 80% familiar, 20% unfamiliar. Mm-hmm. And we're just sort of brought down into this place. Mm-hmm. And they do that twice in the film. Yeah. You know, the film almost has two parts, you know. Right. The part in the city, mm-hmm. the part in the sort of unregulated corporate place outside mm-hmm. of the city. Yeah. Um, and it's just a, it, it's a great pause. It's a yeah. great way to, like, I love to I be mean, brought into a place like that. Yeah. And I think going back to even William Gibson, and when I've read his books, I think, like, for the first, like, the whole chapters in those books, I, like... I'm totally like thrown off and confused about where I am and what's right. happening, and it and you kind of have to get into that flow of that world, and but I like that these people are visionary enough to just have you step into this world that's totally different and yeah. has this different feel, and that's the same thing I felt with uh, at least Ghost in the Shell too. You're right. Yeah, and yeah. there's just there's also this thing I wanted to talk about Bato a little bit. Yeah. and weapons I, and I don't I, I don't so like in in the 2000 I guess this is kind of like us ragging on the remake um, which is I, it's fine yeah, yeah. people spend Just a lot like, of time yeah. making it and it yeah. has some really beautiful moments but, um, and, and, and here's the thing like the truth is like if, if somebody watches it and is like oh this is interesting and it mm-hmm. gets it, it and it um, causes them to go back and encounter these other two films which they haven't have encountered yeah you know then it's great and, and maybe that was kind of what i mean who knows what the intent of the i mean i don't know what the intent of the filmmakers were right. maybe that was their intent to have someone like have like a, a halfway step into this more complicated world mm-hmm. you know someone's like well this movie's awesome but have you read the book right. you know yeah. that kind of thing yeah but so um in the 2017 remake bato like you know um major's partner mm-hmm. um he starts off with regular eyes and he gets injured and then he gets these like cybernetic guys right um and he's kind of he's a little sad like people like oh man you got mangled and you got these things and he's like yeah but i got like x-ray vision and stuff right but he doesn't he doesn't seem super excited about it (laughs) yeah but like he's like the whole series you know ghost in the shell from 95 starts out with him with those eyes he Mm -hmm. he is like totally embodying the like one man cybernetic killing machine right that he is right with his like stealth and I mean like he has he is totally happy being and, and he, he's clearly less machine than Major is like that's very mm-hmm. clear right but he is happy yeah. that his arm is a gun that <laughs> yeah. shoots people whenever it, it needs to yeah. that he you know you know we see through his vision we see this you know see the way that he targets mm-hmm. like um and all that's visually interesting but it's also like his attitude towards his own cyberness is very clear he's yeah. like totally cool with it yeah. Um, and people, you know, and there's there's often, 
And so, um, in the remake, the people are like, oh, like you're a little less human and you're more robot, and that's kind of awkward. And yeah. it's just such an uninteresting approach. A way to throw it out. I there, mean, yeah. I, I don't know. I'm uninteresting. I guess I mean is what I mean. But it's like I had when I had knee surgery. I had like mm-hmm. bolts put in my knee, and I'm like right. just freaking cybernetic the whole thing up I don't care as long as it works yeah you know I mean there's um there's a, an interesting thing about it is just an it's an interesting concept to think about like what is me like are these screws that are in my knee right. me yeah you know I mean like they're myself. certainly doing a job you know right. and and there's the and there's all the deeper and much more philosophical ways of contemplating um you know how organic and inorganic things are mm-hmm. you like are your glasses you Eli you know they're right. part of you or are they right. from you know are you know um, and that again, like that's the beginning of a conversation that is interesting to me. And I think it's um, it, it may seem subtle the difference between mm-hmm. Bato's relationship with his eyes yeah. in the original and in the remake, but it, it just fundamentally changes what the story is about. Yeah, because because I mean, it, it is about people's relationship to themselves as part human and part not human right. or part machine. I mean, this is let's dig into this a little bit because this fascinates me too. Um, I mean, I should also state that in general. The concept of artificial intelligence and the idea of what that speaks to us about what it means to be human or not human or when when do we cross that line is really fascinating and probably something I'll make a film about at some point. Um, But uh, I think Batu is an interesting case for that and Major as well. But and like you said, I think we are, are already having to deal with that dichotomy of are we becoming more artificially enhanced in even our, our brains and our knowledge? Yeah. And I mean, if, if you just think, like you said, even like my glasses or something, but I pretty much always have an iPhone attached to oh, my yeah. hand. And it's, and it's an extension of my brain, essentially. Yeah. Like, I have totally become accustomed to, if there is a question I have, boom, I have my phone in my hand, I can search that question. I can find out what it is. And so it's weird when I don't have that connection uh, my phone dies or I forget it to go out of the house or something and I just don't have that instantaneous knowledge that I can pull up mm-hmm. um, and we see the characters in there now have it where they don't even have to talk sometimes yeah. they can speak through their brains and they can access uh, basically like the web um, sometimes they do have to plug into the back of their neck yeah. but uh, they can do those things pretty instantaneous so I think it's really fascinating for especially the 1999, 1995 film to be ahead of the game in exploring those ideas. And that's what sci-fi is good for. Yeah. But I think we are getting to the point probably where we can even enhance ourselves biologically more directly. Um, well, I mean, the, look at that. the thing yeah. that always comes to mind, I mean, have you ever, um, have you ever read the book Feed? The I young adult book. So. Ah, um, uh, Feed is a is a, a really interesting book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of like a young adult book that I read when I was teaching young adults. Yeah. Um, it's primarily this uh, futuristic story. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of in the future, most people have like a, a wireless feed uh, through their brain into mm-hmm. the net. Yeah. Um, and some folks, uh, like in uh, in in our, in, in our story, there's a family who has uh, much less means, and mm-hmm. the the person connects via like a, a, a sort of a hat mm-hmm. that they put on over their face and a yeah. backpack like a VR sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and it highlights the um, just sort of like the um, 
the economic differences in who gets to do what, where, and when. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also like sort of like some a person who sort of like hacks some people, privileged right. people, and that's a big deal. And it's an interesting story. Yeah. Um, uh, and the, there's a fun part. I mean, one of the parts that sticks with me is at the end, like our 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 main character um, uh, is like really stressed out. And like orders like seventeen pairs of pants and yeah. just tracks them in his brain and like that's his stress activity. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think about because I I read that book uh-huh. um, in a class um, with uh, uh, I think I don't remember like a thirteen year old student female okay. who had two cochlear implants. Mm. Right. Yeah. And she literally has like <laughs> enhanced hearing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's like I mean, the cochlear implants are like. They're wires. There's there's a little snap thing on like the yeah. behind your neck, and it, yeah. it goes into your brain, and you like hear it through the speaker. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was, I mean, she was uh, sort of like punk, you know, like <laughs> rings like in your face. I mean, like yeah. the kind of style I think you were required to have two giant cochlear implants <laughs> at this like white bread school that I was teaching at. Yeah. Um, but it was interesting because it was like, oh, like we do this, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like there isn't, you know, like. I, you know, it, her brain doesn't send information out to communicate with these devices. Yeah. But like, we do this. Yeah. And the, and there are, you know, I've watched um, that we can do it for the visual cortex. That's very rudimentary and mm-hmm. sloppy at this point because yeah. um, we can't really get the resolution. Right. But like, it's certainly like a yeah a I mean, reality. I was doing some research for a possible uh, film script, and in the last month, Elon Musk has announced that he's like fully invested in this company that basically he bought and uh they are working seriously on exactly what you're talking about like implants into your brain um that allow you to sort of connect to the web and sort of like uh speak out what is in your brain and i think initially they are aiming at helping Maybe people like um, autistic folks who may have a very active brain activity but can't really express themselves yeah. in that way. So um, I think those those are great causes, but certainly it's going to be used for in other cases. And so that just brought it home that, man, this is not that far away. I mean, yeah. he has said some crazy things, but uh, I think he's also pulled off quite a bit, um, like going to space pretty quickly. Uh, yeah. self-finance so I mean if he says it's doable in the next decade like I feel like that is a definite possibility um, that people can pull off so I mean these are things we are going to have to deal with pretty quickly yeah, yeah. Um, I mean I remember when I when I had when I after I had watched Ghost in the Shell 2 mm-hmm. um, this is like the, the, the early age of iPhone the iPhone 1 came yeah. out around then and like and just seeing how that how people add it relationships with this device changed mm-hmm. in the first couple of years that people had it yeah um uh just uh i was like oh this is absolutely what they're talking about like cause, you know because yeah. there's all the discussion they said i think there's two dialogues about it in mm-hmm. ghost in the shell too about after memory had been externalized yeah you know and i'm like oh this is we're totally doing it right um and uh you know like it's not it's not embedded in your brain and you do access it through your eyes and whatnot mm-hmm. but like there's a way in which you can you conceive of it yeah. as being part of your memory mm-hmm. thing. I remember when I was studying to be a teacher, we had a, a psychologist come in who did a lot of stuff about brains, um, uh, and he talked about how like uh, the plenty of studies that would interview like older people, yeah. and, like a husband and wife, and like a lot of times like between the two of them they could find anything in the house. Mm-hmm. 
but each one of them had sort of specialty areas. And then, like, the husband would know, like, oh, I don't know where it is. My wife knows where it is. Yeah. So, and, and, and that takes up less space in your brain. Yeah. And they're, like, they're, I mean, there are plenty of, um, like, birds mm-hmm. have very small brains yeah. um, because they need to be light so they can fly. Yeah. So they're very efficient. You know, mm-hmm. and like, and there are like um, uh, folks that do studies on birds, like that, like there are plenty of smaller birds that will they can hide a finite number of seeds, yeah, like a hundred and sixty four seeds, and, um, and, and that's it. Yeah, and after oh, they like get one, then they have a space <laughs> left, and they can fill it up with something else. Huh. Um, but they, you know, there's like, um, but there are ways in which you can, um, you know, a bird as an example, a very small amount of space, right. and a human's uh, an example of a large amount of space, and you can even expand it by like. Um, sharing memory with others mm-hmm. you know in a way that right. like you like it, it's like a reference you're like i don't mm-hmm. know where that is but i know how to ask to get it right so i essentially have the knowledge of it and and, and it's more efficiently stored in your brain that way yeah. at least what's that is what the research that i heard said so yeah i mean i don't i don't know that we totally know the consequences of that system oh yeah um because certainly i kind of work in technology and so you really clearly see the the change of you know i used to memorize all the important phone numbers when I was a kid, when yeah. I was younger, and now I barely remember my wife's phone number most yeah. of the time, and I because I don't have to. And I don't know I my mind mine because I never call myself. <laughs> right, right. That, that, I write it down. So I, I see that happen to a lot of people. Yeah. Um. So I think this just this shift, and certainly as we look through changes in media technology, there's always scares of like, oh, this is you know, we have erasers on our pencils. We won't like. Now we can just make mistakes. Nothing is going to be permanent. Like, and obviously that seems ridiculous to us, but teachers used to say, you can't use erasers on your pencils. Um, you're not going to actually care about what you're writing down. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it's, there's always this scary element, but I, I think we both have to know more these days. Our knowledge yeah. sort of has to be expansive because we just literally just know more. Like scientifically we know yeah. more, so it has to be more in depth. But at the same time... Uh, we don't have to know more because we can just look it up or we can find out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I find... So I, I want to go back to another element of uh, Ghost in the Shell. Yes. Um, as much as I love talking about everything. Um, and, and that's like, if, if you look at it, that's weapons. Right. So okay. in, in the original Ghost in the Shell, yeah. um, there's a character, I can't remember his name, um, but he like, everyone makes fun of him because he uses this revolver. Yes. I like this whole thing. And they're like, why do you use that thing? And he's like, it's reliable. You know, like mm-hmm. it always works, um, and uh, they when they first encounter like the um, the uh, whatever like the cloaked guy. Yes. Uh, what? No, actually, when when they're in in that pursuit, they they're attacked by a guy who has I think it was like high, they call them like high velocity rounds or something. Right. Yeah. Um, and he's clearly cybernetically enhanced because like they were so powerful they would push him back. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, and they make some comment about like, oh, like you'd have to like modify this element of the gun that wouldn't, mm-hmm. you know, and sort of that wouldn't, um, you, you, that would be a sort of unsustainable with that level of enhancement. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And it would overheat or something. Um, which, is, which, is an, which is an interesting concept, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, at first I was like, oh, this is kind of like um, some cool techno babble. Yeah. Because, uh, I, I mean... It, in, in the vein of like, um, like I love the book Starship Troopers. It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. But there's a whole lot of like detail about like the pressure plates in the armor, <laughs> about how it moves it. Yeah. But I think the author, Barbara Hanley, was like really is like, oh my God, this is so awesome. This is yeah. Right. And I'm like, we all do that in our heads. And, and, right. and it's a great, interesting story. Yeah. Um, but I'm like, okay, like, you know, we're probably <laughs> really not going to do it this yeah. way technologically. Like, it's probably mm-hmm. going to be done 
better. Yeah. Like Pacific Rim where he built robots to punch him in the face. <laughs> um, so I was like, okay. But it it really is, again, like this the, these different perspectives on things, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, and I, I feel like oh, weirdly academic about this, but, you know, like these weapons, I think, represent like people. You know, and, and, and there's the sense that this, like, good old-fashioned, unmodified revolver right. has, you know, it's it's solid, mm-hmm. it's reliable, it's mm-hmm. not dangerous. Right. You know, it's it's going to do what you need it to do. Right. And, you know, that character is not, you know, he's not jumping off of buildings. <laughs> he's, like, the kind of guy that, like, you know, when there's one bad guy standing and you're out of bullets, mm-hmm. he's going to shoot that guy, right? Yeah. Because then, in you know, things go on there, and there's discussion of these high velocity rounds at various points, and mm-hmm. there's certain guys that are enhanced and not enhanced, yeah. and then you get to the um, the final battle between Major and the Spider mm-hmm. Tank, yeah. um, and I don't know exactly what she does, but she modifies her gun. Mm-hmm. She takes yeah, out. I think that, I think yeah. she does the exact modification that they talk about in the beginning. Earlier, yeah. You know, and she she's able to fire these high velocity rounds. I think mm-hmm. I'm hoping getting that right. You know, and, and do some damage to this right. tank, but it overheats and her gun doesn't function anymore, <laughs> right? Um, which again is I think talking about, um, uh, like talk like those weapons are metaphors for people mm-hmm. because then she beats the mech by like ripping this. You know this right. sight module out of it, and both of her arms both off her arms in the out. in yeah. the process. So like she's, you're able to do more. You're able to do much more intense, much more mm-hmm. serious things. But like it's it's much more volatile. Like it's right. much more dangerous. Like you you can do more, but you destroy more in the process. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that um, you when I look at like a you know, like a like a human body versus a cybernetic body, like. You know, I, I play a lot of sports. I play rugby. I hit dudes all the time. Yeah. Like, there is a feedback system that says, like, <laughs> stop pushing or take your arm out of there. Right. Or, like, you know, like, um, there's all kinds of feedback in our body that tells us how to keep it safe. That's what the mm-hmm. function of pain is. In the cybernetic body, I I mean, I, I assume there's some manner of pain in them. Right. But, like, I couldn't rip my arms off the way she did. <laughs> I, it's just, like, they would yeah. either break or I would pass. Like, it wouldn't happen. Yeah. But in the cybernetic body, you can do that. Yeah. And I think um, they emphasize that in the second film. Yeah. Um, because those two are partnered with each other. Uh, uh, the gentleman with the revolver and Batu, I yeah. can't remember his name. Um, and we see he really, you know, he's kind of like, you're a little bit too dangerous to work yeah, with. Yeah. And he's like, I have a family. And so there is one point where they, like, throw some um, grenades or something. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's, like, totally freaked out. Yeah. And he was like... You know, I can't take this. Like, you can just throw your body in front of this stuff, and yeah. they're going to give you a new body. Yeah. Like, I, I am too fragile for that. Yeah. Um, and I think it's an interesting place to take it. I also think it relates to, which I don't know how you feel about this, but I heard bad things in the about the 2017 version about the way Scarlett Johansson emphasizes her, um, her acting technique in that she makes like her movements look robotic and they don't really do that so much in the anime yeah. and I I'd heard bad things about it but I didn't it was better than I thought it would be because I appreciated there were certain little subtleties where she would I mean definitely you could tell in the way she walked um, but sometimes she would like go to a room like walk into an office at one point yeah and her arms just sort of like swung sort of heavily until rest and like naturally and yeah. I was like actually that's kind of interesting because I think if, yeah. if you were artificial there is something about real bodies that you know your arms don't move 
perfectly in sync with each other. And so I, in the end, I thought it was a little bit fascinating. Like it brought, it just yeah, reminded I know, I know. me a little bit she's not quite I, real. I, Certainly you could go the other way and say, you know, it'd be interesting to say you forget that that person is artificial. But right. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, <laughs> I've never met Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. My impression of her is that she is like one of the like smartest, most clever, most like insightful people working mm-hmm. in Hollywood. And I don't, right. I, I, like I am, I, I am loath <laughs> to say anything to bad about her. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, like, my fascination with her started with um, uh, Lost in Translation, yes. which is just a fabulous thing, yeah. and, you know, and a great way to start, you know, sort of being big time. But, mm-hmm. um, so, like, my opinion about, like, the arms thing is, like, right now, I could, like, um, call Pixar yeah, and say, I would like a uh, an algorithm for a wireframe that makes them stand and walk naturally, uh-huh. and they will send it to me. Yeah. Cause like, and also like, or I could call like Peter Jackson and like, could I get like a horse or a human, like that kind of thing we already know. Mm-hmm. And so like that could totally like, that should be part of an Android's programmable mm. stuff. Yeah. Like, I can it, see that. So like, oh, yeah. she, I, like, I understand that she's trying to do something interesting for mm-hmm. herself, Yeah. but like, it's not an element of the original story. Right. She like, you know, like. And I, I don't feel like the major and in Ghost in the Shell too when she's in, inhabiting that doll, her movements mm-hmm. are weird. Mm-hmm. But it isn't in the first one. Yeah. And I don't like. I, I think it's like it, it's not. It doesn't have symbolic meaning in the film, mm-hmm. so it doesn't have meaning for me. Yeah. And like it's interesting. I'm like, oh, like, and, it, it, and it's yeah. kind of like what someone might think that would be like. Mm-hmm. But it again, it without like some larger piece or discussion about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it's just like, you know, it's making something blue as opposed to white to me. Yeah. And one thing I wanted to talk about, and I don't want to spend too much time on um, sort of the whitewashing issue with the new film, but I think more so, like, speaking of Scarlett Johansson, and certainly I don't know that that the direction for that type of movement might have been the director saying, hey, you should act more robotic, and she was like, okay, I'll do this. And so maybe it's not her her performance necessarily, it was a direction, but... uh, and I'm not the first one to make this point, but she's started to make a career out of these artificial sort of alien beings yeah. that are not natural. So we have, uh, she was the voice in her. I don't know if you've seen Oh, that. yeah. Fabulous. Um, Fabulous film. And certainly I think she actually brought a lot of humanity to that, yeah. to that role. Uh, there is like a misogynistic thing going on all over the place in that movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there is a lot, sure. lot to be. Maybe knowingly, about. yeah. Um, and uh, she's in Under the Skin, which is she's an alien. She's not an artificial being, but mm-hmm. I think she does a much better job in that of seeming artificial. Like, uh, she's she's coming to our world, to the Earth, mm-hmm. and she doesn't fit in. She doesn't know our yeah. ways, sort of, and so she feels... Um, I mean, her portrayal makes it feel very unnatural to us, um, the way she speaks and, and moves and stuff in a better way. And then uh, in Lucy... Um, she kind of you see her become this progression of sort of the singularity um, which I think was a fascinating which has a lot more similarities with the original Ghost in the Shell actually the ending of the film um, where she her knowledge becomes exponentially enhanced very quickly and she eventually just kind of like disappears into <laughs> into the net or like uh, whatever, um, but I I think there's something about her 
that certainly directors or filmmakers must see yeah. um, in that. And, and I think she has been kind of known for this kind of unemotional style acting. But I guess what I also want to get to is, and maybe her casting ties into it or the portrayal, but I think the director of the anime films is interested in sort of this feminist idea or this at least concern with how um, women are portrayed or how they are um, sort of taken over by society or controlled by society. I mean, we certainly see uh, how women are sexualized, especially in the second film, um, where they're turned into these beings. So once we have the opportunity to make these artificial beings that you can't tell the difference, we tend towards building them into these sort of beautiful women or whatever, or uh, using them... um, for unscrupulous means, which we, we find out is sort of the the thing happening behind the scenes of, of the second film. Um, but I, I don't know what you think of that, but uh, I mean, I think the, the new film is just in that way of like instantly you kind of go to, they must have went to, well, we'll get Scarlett Johansson because she's really good at that, you know? People think she's beautiful or like looks perfect or whatever, and so she would make a good robot or whatever. Um, but I think Ghost in the Shell 2, Innocence, and certainly that name, I don't know what that name intones for you, but I think it's sort of this, it deals with, we find out these young girls in the end, that their sort of minds are being put into, or their ghosts are being put into these uh, sex bots to, um, to enhance that experience for people. Um, but they're, you know, they're being kind of used by the system. Uh, to enhance things but and I I think we do that as a society kind of force our our cultural conventions on things and certainly it's kind of saying in the future we'll just continue to do that even though we can kind of make this pure being whatever we want it to be that's the the tendency that will go in yeah and so I mean well I mean it'd be be really fun to sit down and talk with (laughs) that guy yeah um and we're we're extra textual, so we'll just assume, yeah. assume what we want. About, right. right? Yeah. Um, but I, I wanted to. Well, I mean, there's certainly like they don't shy away with um, address like with presenting images of women, images of women's bodies, mm-hmm. societal representations of women. Mm-hmm. But like, there's no discussion of gender, right? Or in the story like people don't talk about it yeah um you know and like and i was struck in in the original one like there's just like naked breasts everywhere in the Mm -hmm. first third of the film yeah um and it's uh, you know like they're like sexualized though no 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 but they're like they're also like uh framed like Mm -hmm. here is the upper body and chin of a woman here is just a woman's breasts here is just the butt over here Mm -hmm. um and i you know, I certainly from a, I mean, I certainly wish there would be more talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a lot that's done visually. I mean, like I, I think it's mm-hmm. it's it's not so much. Um, I think that element of the film is not so much. Um, I think you're right. You know, not talking about what will be in a sense, but this is like this is what we do. This is how like we. This is what we do. Like mm-hmm. I, I think of like the, the one of the lines I like 
or phrase like from the new Ghostbusters, the phrase mostly dudes. Yeah. You know, they're talking about, yeah, right. like a bunch of vengeful gods and that, mostly dudes. Yeah. Um, it, it's clear that like in the future, uh, in this future, mm-hmm. uh, robots are made by uh, mostly dudes. Yeah. And mostly dudes are the people that um, like buy them. Right. Um, but I think, and so to contrast like the 2017 with the uh, um, Ghost in the Shell 2 of 2004, um, you have these, you have, in, in 2017 version, you have the like, female service or female pleasure bots mm-hmm. um, that are uh, that kill people yeah um, and uh, it it doesn't seem to have a whole lot of purpose in the 2017 version right. they're, they're like it's some sort of like assassination hit mm-hmm. but it doesn't really matter that they're women because they're kind of like just serving drinks geishas yeah. they're clearly sexualized which was borrowed from the uh, TV yeah, show yeah. version, yeah, um, but not so much. You know, what yeah, I mean, like, right. I mean, it's it like didn't it's, have it's much like, purpose. Eh, in the it's yeah. women, but it was a cool scene, by the way. I was yeah. encouraged by that opening, but you're yeah. right, it didn't really take it anywhere. Yeah, and also, but it's also like in in the, in the original one, she falls down and shoots them as she goes down because right. she's that good. She's that good. She doesn't yeah. crash in there. Right. She's like <laughs> blows yeah. them as she's going that, down because yeah. she's that awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Ghost in the Shell too, so we, you know we have these. They're like created for the purpose of sex. Right. And and like and and that's clearly something that is illegal and not cool mm-hmm. in this world, mm-hmm. and because it's done illegally on a boat here, yeah. um, you know. And then we also find that they're like what part of what makes them work mm-hmm. is that they're controlled by these young girls or controlled by the ghosts of these young girls or, right. you know, like they're. I mean, when I first watched it, I assumed that like the the girls were like directly controlling them. I don't necessarily think that's the case. Um, right. I think that like this, like their ghost is uploaded to give them, gives a, them more a, realistic a, right. impression, yeah, or something. Um, uh, and that's why we get the sort of voice that we find that's saying, "Please help me" or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah. Calls, yeah. Um, and so, uh, I mean, one of the things that I find um, interesting about uh, talking with talking about like transformers with my kids mm-hmm. is like they all they have they all have gender they're all male or female mm. um and like ro- like ro- like sure we make robots we can make them male or female but yeah. like they're like they don't have to be that way like there's yeah. nothing masculine or feminine about a bunch of bits or mm-hmm. some hard drive stuff um so it's so like it's it's interesting that there's um the like to to, to think about the feminist angle on a lot of these things because mm-hmm. there's so much yeah. Like I, I wouldn't call it like progressive right. um, in the realm of gender. It's also because like Major is a woman and she comes back in a woman's body. She could come back in it's a true. bulldozer, become, like because yeah. it, right. it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't like matter, it, yeah. you know, like it, it doesn't. She doesn't have to be there. But um, and also the thing is like you know, and, and maybe there's some part of it that's like the filmmakers like, hey, like, what do you think about your expectation that she should be in a woman's body? Right. You know, like why don't yeah. why don't you spend some time thinking about all these images of women and women's bodies and how women are being treated in this space mm-hmm. and how you react to them. Right. Because um, we certainly talk a lot about stuff, but we don't talk about that. And, and one of the things I wanted to mention, and uh, I did see Ghost in the Shell 2, uh, the 2014 version, in the theater as well. Um, but going back, uh, this is the first time I've rewatched it, and I didn't... We're both fans of uh, noir stories, oh. and I forgot how much it is. Like, yeah. totally, we get like the classic cars and like the jazz in yeah. the car, and like he's a lonely man with just his dog. Yeah. Um, 
And I think that film is a lot about uh, his grief sort of driving him, that he's lost uh, Major um, in his life, and he's kind of confused about this decision that she made um, to just kind of, like, disappear and kind of leave and and almost, like, abandon him and what they were doing. Um, And he didn't, I don't think, at the end of the first film, didn't understand, like, her reasoning for doing that completely yeah um or why she would want to and i think uh before we were recording we were talking about this progression where major is kind of almost completely um artificial intelligence or like she's almost completely artificial and batu is still closer to humans so we yeah. get this progression of moving towards an understanding of what it means to be kind of lose that sense of humanity as we know it um and still understand life as important i think we see him get there by the end and and i think it's important that they refer to these uh sort of sex bots as like dolls and yeah apparently yeah i don't, I don't yeah. know what the japanese for that is i don't know but yeah, in english but, we get it but apparently he those robots are based off of uh some i think that's a japanese illustrator from mm-hmm. the early um 1900s that drew these dolls that were somewhat sexualized and stuff like that, but commenting on female bodies and things. Mm-hmm. So those uh, those androids were directly designed from that. And I think Batu, maybe even at the beginning of the second film, kind of views them as just androids. And, you know, he, he kills the one at the beginning, Yeah. Um, even though he kind of hears this strange voice, but he's got a job yeah. to do kind of thing. Um, and I think by the end he, and maybe the return of Major in one of those kind of, Gives him well, more yeah, I mean, understanding of that, but yeah. I mean, the I mean, the thing when I watched it the first time, like, I did not. Uh, when he says, like, but what about the victims? What about the dolls? Yeah, I'm like, I don't understand what you're talking about. Right. Like yeah. I, you know, and now watching it, I mean, having you know seen all three of these films, like it's, I mean, to some extent, like it's not Major's story. Right. Like it's his it's, story. It's his story. Yeah. You know, and partially yeah. because he's the thread that goes in the second one, mm-hmm. but it's also like he goes from a point. Um, you know, like very similar to ours, mm-hmm. some cyberneticity. Yeah, horrible. Um, and it goes to a point where, like, he he cares about people, mm-hmm. but he also cares about these dolls, which are like, you know, machines that have been imbued with a copied soul, a copied ghost of a right. human being. Mm-hmm. You know, and like, and 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 is at least sympathetic or cares about um, mm-hmm. the fact that they were also. Uh, victims in this whole process as well. Yeah. Um, which I think, you know, I mean, I mean, it's a really dramatic point when he says that. So I assume that it's <laughs> like a, you know, it's a big part of what we've been, you know, leading up to. Leading up to, yeah. I do want to say um, there's this, the other parallel to, um, which I think, there's another thing that I want to talk about between the 2017 film and yeah. the original ones. And that has to do with like uh, the water. Okay. Like when when the major goes in the water. Yes. You know, Batu's like, "Aren't you scared? You're gonna sink to the bottom mm-hmm. with this mechanical body, right? Because it's unsafe for you to be in the water." Yeah. yeah. And she's like, "I like the danger." Mm-hmm. You know, because like she's she's not scared of people shooting at her or any of the things that we're scared of. Right. Because like. They can just give her a new body. Yeah. Or and she she can like dodge them yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um. But she's terrified of. Or, like, she's scared of the water. That's why mm-hmm. she goes in it. Right. And it's after that period of massive fear mm-hmm. that she talks to Batu about what it's like being how she is before they yeah. get called away conveniently. Yeah. Um, 
And Batu goes in the water in the second film as well when he when he's going onto the boat. And someone says to him, like, aren't you worried about diving with that body of yours? You could sink. Right. Um, and I think for me, it's about, to some extent, like shifting vulnerabilities. Hmm. Like, and you also see it when Batu gets hacked when he's buying his dog food. Right. Like something that is, I think, supposed to be very comforting. Mm-hmm. He's on his journey back home. We right. follow him on this way. Mm-hmm. And something about his routine by buying this dog food gets him hacked because somebody's right. able to figure him out yeah. never see it happen um that's not something that i am vulnerable to mm-hmm. like I, without external memory i am not vulnerable to that right he's he is and he like hurt you know like was about to kill someone blew mm-hmm. his own arm off the one mm-hmm. i believe is a gun yeah um and so he's worried about that which we are not and he's right. also terrified about water which we are not which are these are not dangerous things to right. us um, and I think it, it's a way of um, illustrating how um, even though uh, you um, can be stronger or better or faster and mm-hmm. not worried about things that um, we, we are scared of, mm-hmm. you also trade some of that vulnerability in different ways when you do stuff. Mm-hmm. You become so heavy that you can't swim in the water really. Yeah. Um, or um, you know, all the people that have external things are, are, are liable to if somebody really wants to and you don't you know, mm-hmm. regulate your thing, you get hacked. Because like every time a car stops – it yeah. scans for pursuit vehicles. Hmm. And it says that it's clear before you get out. You know? <laughs> right. Like there's clearly all of this business about um, where you are and what you're doing and how you can be hacked. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're already scared about how we're getting oh, hacked yeah. these days too. But I mean, I think that's maybe not quite the same thing. And I'm not sure I can describe exactly how this made me feel. But uh, like something like you were saying how she rips the top off of that spider tank yeah. and her arms pull off and I think um, even in the uh, the second film when she comes back into that body and her yeah. one arm at one point just is kind of like limp yeah and and so it's kind of that that difference between you kind of not viewing them differently than the other characters yeah. for most of it and then suddenly there's this very vulnerable thing and you know it's not a real I mean, it's all anime, but you know it's not a real body, yeah. but I'm still like, it gives me this weird f- sense of my own humanity yeah. to see like her arms ripped off and suddenly she's vulnerable and just like crawling on the ground Yeah. Um, to be able to do that, even though I think it really took me back this time watching the first film that she was really very unconcerned about that moment. Like for me, I was like whoa, like, before she's been, like, perfect and she could just, like, take care of things. Yeah. But this time, she just goes for it, she loses her, and I was like, she's done. But she was, like, very calm. Well, and, and, and remember that... she's, like, doesn't have to, like... Work. Yeah. Going back to weapons, like, she yeah. also says, she says, while I'm doing this hack, I'm gonna be vulnerable. It's just gonna be you and that 50 caliber gun that's <laughs> right. gonna save me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I mean, and I, and I don't mean to belabor the point, but he uses, like, an unmodified assault rifle to do that. <laughs> right? He, yeah. he doesn't do what she does in fighting the spider tank mm-hmm. and modify this, you know, like, very successful weapon to do so. Mm-hmm. Because he knows that he doesn't need to do something fancy or a butt. Like, he doesn't need to beat something that he can't beat. He's very efficient at taking these things out, as we see several times yeah. in his shooting spree on the way there. He just needs to, like, reliably get something done. All and right. to do that, he uses, like, an ordinary weapon. It's not, you know, it's, it's a large weapon, mm-hmm. but he doesn't do something special. He just does this stayed reliable thing. Yeah. Um, and I think, too, like, the, the part you mentioned about your own humanity. I mean, we, we get explicit philosophical talk about that with the the guy in the mansion right you know and and i think that you know like it's i'm happy i am happy that um 
he says it explicitly. I think I think it's yeah. the, you know that it's like when you encounter this, like it makes you wonder like what your body is, what things are like. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that I that I always think about that, or the thing that made me think about which was interesting is, um, I've known um, uh, for like folks that have uh, lost a limb, mm-hmm. um, uh, and they have phantom limb pain. Yeah. But one of the treatments for it is is it's a mirror treatment where you mm. you put a mirror in the center part of your body okay. and you sort of like try to keep try to move your phantom limb in, um, <laughs> in conjunction with your other limb and huh. it can often get rid of the pain hmm. um and it just it just it, it reminds me that like our sense of the world around us is not just like the nerves connecting our arms to our body mm. but we have other parts of our body like our kinesthetic awareness um of, of where things go that, that is not just connected to my fingers right, right. you know that this other like stuff some there. sort of ghost in our shell <laughs> yes no i mean i i don't think that it is um uh i just there, there are like many ways in which our brains uh can conceive of how we are in space and how we move through mm-hmm. space yeah um one of my criticisms of the second film which i i think we both feel like is the most sort of thematically rich and also visually maybe yeah. um, of all of the Ghost in the Shell films we've talked about. But uh, I do think it goes a little overboard with the sort of um, philosophical and quotes from literature and religion and stuff. It's like a little overwhelming. And I, and I think part of it is that trying to show that these guys are in a different place than we are in our in our history they're in the future and so yeah. they're they are literally dealing with these issues every day um and so they are thinking through them and it's trying to portray that but i i kind of wish it would have just picked a few of those references yeah, yeah. and then maybe like visually you know um given us other clues to back that up or like other hints within those instead of just kind of like you know, there's some conversations where they're just throwing out these different references left and right, and um, yeah. it becomes like I can't quite process how these things go together um, completely. And and I think I could spend more time thinking through it, but I mean, I do, yeah. I do think for me, I mean, I, I mean, I really love that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I do feel like from a, I'm enjoying watching this film perspective. Mm-hmm. We could have definitely like located that in one person and like made fun of them a little bit for it. Yeah, I feel like there's a little bit like, oh, so like everyone is totally out. all in philosoph- philosophizing all the time about the nature of being. Yeah. Um, and again, I mean, it, it, it wouldn't take much for me to buy it all to be like for someone to say like you know in these really in these crazy times when humanity is mm-hmm. being reinvented, we're sort of all forced to be philosophers. Right. You know, like th- there's yeah. a way in which. They can make it more palatable to me, but I mean, I do. I mean, I have to. As much as I like that stuff, <laughs> yeah. Um, there's definitely. I think there's a, a couple scenes when they when they're with the like um, doing any autopsy and the autopsy stuff, mm-hmm. the and I'm like, oh, like, yeah. you're you're still doing this, and Just no one's getting shot it. at. I yeah. mean, it's not an action film, but like, I did notice. Come on. Um, I kind of went back a little bit. So that's when they first visit, when they're first starting their investigation, yeah. and they go see this doctor, and she, this woman, is kind of saying all these deep things to them yeah um and i did look at how then the two men are shown and it's kind of this like fish eye sort of perspective in their face and i think it did kind of emphasize like in some ways their minds are being blown sort of like yeah what is she saying about this stuff and they're sort of like particularly the partner yes particularly the partner 
um, that his head is just kind of spinning about like what she's even talking about um, and what what kind of meaning that holds is not the way he thinks about yeah. um, and he is the more sort of he's, hum- as far human as we know he's all ones. human yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, th- I do think that was a little bit heavy. But, I mean, I agree that I would rather them throw out those ideas than not, but yeah. um, I would have liked them to have focused and maybe tell, brought those things out more in the story. Uh, we can probably wrap up here <laughs> pretty soon. I don't know if you had anything else to talk about, but I did kind of want to briefly discuss the heritage of what they bring. We talked about the influence of Blade Runner, and the way that memory is brought into actually all the films, really, um, even the 2017 version, maybe mm-hmm. in a different way, less interesting, yeah. but that there's this sense of whatever this ghost is that inhabits the beings, which we could maybe be as your, your brain or whatever, um, but maybe something else. And then, but definitely memories seem to tie into our concept of our identity oh, or yeah. holding on to who we are. And I, I mean, think people, people talk about this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in the first film, which they also heavy handedly do in the 2017 version of the, um, garbage truck driver who thinks he has a family yeah, yeah, and his yeah. kid and he doesn't at all. So yeah. like, I mean, what is the meaning of your life if it's all fake? I mean, if there's if those are all implanted in your brain, yeah. um, what does that even make you? What are you left with yeah. if those aren't real? Uh, which I think is is a fascinating. I don't know that I've totally come down on an answer for what I think, but oh yeah, um, yeah. No, I mean, I mean, I think that like um, uh, for me, um, there is, and I'm not a religious person, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, I, I believe that like. Um, memory is a part of who we are mm-hmm. um, but like even if I had no memory I would still be someone mm-hmm. and I right. could still have a life and I could still yeah. be you know like I, it, it's not required and I, and I think I would still mainly be something like something I would be a unique something or other mm-hmm. um, and so it, it's certainly an element of who we are mm-hmm. um, but I, I don't think it is um, the totality because yeah. I mean, and, you know, and I and I don't know if I say it, like if I I believe in the ghost, Eli. Yeah. Um, but I, I do believe that like memory is something we have. It's not something that we are. Yeah, and I, and I think maybe that ties more into like experiences, and and I think certainly our experiences in our life, maybe like embed themselves in our being somehow. Yeah. Well, but you, you know, like you they, have three kids, makes... Eli, and they are not the same, and it's they're and it's not, not the because they've had different experiences. Yeah. It's because they're just different. I mean, you know, like, and of course, that's DNA or something. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, like, in the way, uh, you know, let's say we lose our, our memory dementia by the end of our life. I think yeah. still the way we respond to things will be influenced by our experiences in our past. Yeah. Even if we can't explicitly remember those yeah. experiences, um, it will still tie into how we how we react or um, experience something new. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Um did you have anything else you uh, want to talk about? I think, I mean, there's certainly more we could always talk about, but there is also a new Blade Runner film coming out this year. Oh, yes. Which will probably, well, we don't know if it'll explore the same ideas, but probably similar ideas. Yeah. Um, I mean, I am really excited about the new Blade Runner. Um, I love that. That's Ryan Gosling, right? Yes. I love that Ryan Gosling. Yeah. He's um, a pretty boy. 
Well, I mean, uh, no, I, and he's an he's, a good actor, he's yeah. an attractive man. He's a good actor. I, yeah. um, uh, Full Nelson. Have you seen Full yeah. Nelson? Yeah. I love that film. It's really good. Yeah. I and like I just think he's great in that film, and I, I like that film, and I'm like really proud that he did that film. You know, I just I that's when I was like. I, I maybe heard about him, hadn't mm-hmm. seen or seen him in a couple other things, but it wasn't until I watched Half Nelson that I was like, "Man, like, yeah. you're awesome," you know? Yeah, he's pretty funny too, if he wants to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm I'm excited to see Harrison Ford playing someone that it seems like he wants to play. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I mean, I, we've talked he, about him like he hated the original production, but yeah, you know, like they're like probably somewhere in the factor of ten billion people that would <laughs> gladly be Harrison Ford and be slightly less grumpy about <laughs> being like a cultural icon for two solid generations right. of humans on planet Earth. Right. So he can shut his mouth <laughs> and just behave with a little right. more grace. Yeah. But I think that he, at least in the trailer, he seems more authentic and interested in being that person mm-hmm. than he ever was in the remake of Star Wars, in, 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 in the new Star Wars. Movie. Yeah, yeah. And so I also like, I mean, he was much younger, you know, and mm-hmm. I think like the younger Harrison Ford, older Harrison Ford, I think will, I think they're, seem, it's going to work better, I think, than the Crystal Skull stuff. Right. Uh, where the, he's still trying to be a superhero. Yeah. Um, and so even like in original Blade Runner, he's not, he's clever. He's mm-hmm. not super fast i mean he he, no, he like he, super he like yeah yeah anything. he endures yeah. some pain but yeah um he's pretty but sloppy I do, detective yeah yeah i mean like we've i don't know if we talked about the have we talked i mean like i mean um the the question which you turned me on to in the original blade runner is mm-hmm. like is he an android or not right um which embarrassingly like because i watched the like non-director's cut with the voiceover the first time mm-hmm. and like I had that was not part of my. Um, it's more in the director's knowledge kind of, yeah. of what's going on. Right. I do think though, like for those of you who are interested in this particular question, I, I advise you to, to get the director's cut <laughs> of Blade Runner and or watch the, it. The final cut. The final cut. Yeah. Um. And, and 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 watch the way, watch the characters' eyes, and mm. and see the way in which light reflects off of them, um, at various points in the film. Because yeah. I think there is is a visual story about. Um, uh, both nobility and humanity told in the way light reflects off their mm-hmm. eyes in the story. Um, but I'm interested in a uh, like the story of Ryan Gosling who's trying to find Decker. You know, Seems like, like it. that's that's interesting yeah. and like and and certainly the ambiguity about um, Decker's heritage mm-hmm. yeah. um, is uh, yeah, if, interesting to me. If he was a replicant and they have expirations, why is he old? Yeah. Yeah. If he's a human, why did he why was he worried about it? What is right. the unicorn? Where's the lady? Where did he go? <laughs> so many questions. Yeah. Um I also Sweet. do I mean, I, I I'm excited about it. Yeah. Um I mean there isn't uh I mean I, I do want like the, the summing up remarks that I want to have about mm-hmm. the, the uh, twenty seventeen film are I think it's a coffee table book. Yeah. Um, version of a film. Um, I think that it. it I, I was excited to see. It was like like when like when uh, Melissa McCarthy um, went back on Weekend Update and did Matt Foley motivational speaker. <laughs> I was yeah. just my heart just leapt because I'm like, right. oh my gosh! Like I grew up watching Chris Farley uh-huh. and being overweight and being like, oh my gosh! Like, <laughs> I, I didn't know you could do that. Yeah. You know, and she must have. You know, she must have done the same thing. Inspired and and there's that, this yeah. like, um, the, you know, like I like seeing artists do work. 
um, mm-hmm. that inspired them that also inspires me. It shows that they really love it. And so, like, right. it seems like there were a lot of folks that were involved in the film that, that had love and respect for the original films, you mm-hmm. know, the manga, which I don't know as much about. Um, and so I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, and I think that they um, they made a the, the, I, they made a lot of good attempts at stuff. Um, but I think, like, you know, like, just there's all these shots of the city with these giant billboards. And as I was telling you when I first saw it, like, they have no meaning Right. Like there, there's like a guy running and a mom, and like it just, and we see there's so much screen time spent on this, and it tells us nothing. Right. It doesn't tell us about this. It's like it just tells us the city has holograms. Mm-hmm. I mean, like they're visually devoid of anything other than here's a hologram. Right. I'm like, I got that in Back to the Future with the giant <laughs> shark, you know, yeah. and like from the very get go of Ghost in the Shell two with that opening shot, you know, which is you know paralleling or referencing. Um, Blade Runner we enter a world and every shot of the city tells us something about our characters and about technology and about where we are and what we're doing mm-hmm. um, and I just see those as so many lost opportunities in the new film I do have to say though that in the second part of the film um, when Major goes to see her mom mm-hmm. which is an interesting storyline yeah. um, whoever was like DPing at that point. I don't know if it changed <laughs> or not, but there's some amazing shots. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, there's this wonderful shot looking up from this like compound. There's a shot looking down with this place mm-hmm. that she's going into, and like, and they don't convey a whole lot of meaning. There are, and, and there are the birds though. There is like yeah. the contrast of this monolithic constructed thing being inhabited sort of by animal, uh, animals, animals, mm-hmm. by animals. So it has, it has inklings of deeper meaning, but it's also just beautiful enough that I don't care. Yeah. I'm like, this is a strikingly beautiful shot and there are people in it and we're moving through it Um, and that's great and I just didn't get that for like the first half three quarters of the film and and I think that like even though you say you know like it's they're the shots in the original where we don't see major and it's just these people on the street and she's not really Mm -hmm. doing much um but even in like certainly going back to Blade Runner, that tells us where we are. Right. That tells us what is powerful and meaningful and what people care about and what's going on and that the Mm -hmm. space is inhabited and all those things. And in the remake, all we get is there are holograms. Yeah. Um, and it keeps coming back to like, there's a hologram of a man with dreadlocks running. There's a hologram. <laughs> you know, because even in like Blade Runner, there's is elite advertising Coke. So we know that like Coke is still around, which right. tells us something. And Atari. Um, yes, yeah, and Atari's still there. And Atari, yeah, Atari's going to be in the, the new, new one, one too. Yeah. Um, and so that's, and I don't know like if that was done by some, it's usually done by someone separate in the film. Mm-hmm. And so that, I just feel like is an up, like the film can't succeed. Unless yeah. that stuff is nailed down. Yeah. Other thing I wanted to say, um, which we hadn't talked about, was like, there's this. I don't know if it's meta, but like in Ghost in the Shell too, there's there's a massive blending of CGI mm-hmm. and hand done yeah. animation. And when I and like and I just I ate it up. Mm. Um, like, because it's. I mean, like the CGI is like pretty good. Yeah. Um, so, for yeah. you know, like especially all I mean, like all those reflective surfaces, mm-hmm. um, and I mean, I love r- rotoscoping technique. I really love, um, um, and, and, and it's not rotoscope, but I, right. I like. But at the very beginning, it kind of looks that way because you have real digital objects and mm-hmm. p- hand drawn things in that space. Yeah, um, and I, I like the way those things work together. I, I imagine there's some deeper business about it um, mm-hmm. because of all the like you know a relationship of cybernetic and human in the film that there's stuff going on there and i think uh, like for me it would take like a deeper reading to be able to suss all that out yeah um but you know just just sort of like my initial thing is that most of the 
spaces, buildings, objects are all computer animated, and the people that are doing the like the the, the characters mm-hmm. that are moving are all hand drawn. Yeah. And I know that's also there's a technical aspect to it that that's often the way things are done. It's easier to do it that way. It's easier sometimes, yeah. Um, but I'm sure that they're like I also derive some meaning from. Oh, they're driving into this place, and here are people looking out that are hand drawn mm-hmm. of a mechanical object <laughs> in a hand drawn space with mechanical, you know, with like CGI elements in it. Yeah, um, I think the enhancement of the image, yeah, is definitely an interesting meta concept, whether they meant it to or not. Yeah, and there was a um, Ghost in the Shell 2.0 version of the 1995 film where the director uh-huh. went back and enhanced some parts of it with CG, hmm. and. Uh, I think it was on one of the streaming services, hmm. and so I was going to rewatch the film, and so I was like, oh, this is interesting. Maybe it's like a kind of director's cut, too, or something. Yeah. And then it looked horrible. Like, yeah. I was like, I, the animation was good before. And yeah, so yeah. I was surprised. And, I, and maybe it was because Ghost in the Shell 2, it was planned that way, yeah. where they were integrated, but I agree. I think, yeah. uh, I don't know what it, how they do it, but there's certain animated films where they can combine it pretty seamlessly yeah. and other films where it's really awkward and yeah. it stands out and um, but this and, one was done really well yeah. and by the end of Ghost in the Shell 2 um, I didn't notice it I mean it was I mean, yeah. clear, clearly still there and I'm yeah. like oh this is that and this is that but like it, it all seemed to work really well mm-hmm. I mean I haven't seen a whole lot of films like that mm-hmm. um, another one I saw was a film called Lens Man it's a, it's a pretty yeah, awesome um, anime but it, young, yeah. it's like um Here's hand drawn. Here's some <laughs> fighting in space that's CGI. Here's some hand drawn stuff. They, they very rarely happen together. It's kind of oh, awkward. Yeah. Um, but it's you know it's also one of those things that it. Um, I don't know. I mean, I have an appreciation for it because yeah. th- there's a sense that like our little squishy bodies and that <laughs> the mechanical things in our life are different. Yeah. Um, and they're like I'm. I'm just it, it's it's interesting and seems appropriate to me. Like I'm I'm fine with. Like the reflective silver toaster being CGI and mm-hmm. the other person being hand drawn. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think overall, um, just to kind of wrap up, I, I I was excited about the 2017 version to kind of see those things kind of come into yeah. the real world, I guess. Um, but was hoping that they would feel more inspired to do something interesting with it or explore some new concepts like you said since you know 2004 yeah. is, a, is a while and now we are more technologically advanced what else can you say like where else can you take that and, and they didn't seem interested in doing that um or it didn't filter down um in yeah. the end from wherever they went uh but i i appreciate that the anime films still hold up really well oh yeah um to find some I, mean, I feel like it's in sharing it with our kids it's like they're gonna have to be in college before we <laughs> can pull watch out this the ghost in the shell yeah yeah and the second one they may also be bored by that that's grad school yeah also some actually almost better action in the second film oh like, no no there's not it's absolutely better action. yeah i mean the first film i was again surprised like oh there's like two action scenes yeah. in this that's it. Like no, I'm the, the there's like the Bato Tos and those guys with the hologram, and then yeah. like it's solid all the way through. Right. Yeah. That's um, good. All right. All right. Uh, thanks for listening.